0: Good morning, friends. My name is Vito, and I am really glad to be here. I'm a pastor out in Brooklyn, and have gotten to know Mark uh, over the years, and have also gotten to know your church a little bit. This is the second or third time that I've been here. You may not remember that, and that's fine, but um, I only bring that up to say, (laughs) I only bring that up to say, um, it's a great consolation to me, and it's an encouragement to me to know that this church is here. Uh, that you are a community. Some of you, maybe this is your first time here. Maybe this is the hundredth time you've been here, whatever it may be. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here with you. And the reason that I came today, besides the fact that Mark asked me, is uh, I came to bring some good news to you. Um, I'm of the conviction Uh, That each one of us needs to hear good news. Uh, Good news that meets us exactly where we're at with whatever problems or joys or whatever it may be in your life. To hear good news that we can share that with one another. And the way that I want to do that is I want to look at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, The Gospel of Mark is a story about Jesus. And I believe that in the story of Jesus and in his person, not just back then but even now, uh, that's where we can receive the best news. So let's look at this story together. It's an amazing story. Uh, I love this story. And um, as you look at it, I'm going to read it to us. Uh, You're going to see some people in this story um, who are good friends to their friend. And I want you to watch them. I want you to watch the people in this story to see what they do. So let's take a look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 and following. Your friends, this is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. May you speak good news to us. Each one of us need to hear it. We need not only to hear it, but to know it and to know your presence. And so we ask for it for the sake of Jesus. Amen. I asked you to look at these friends who brought their friend into the presence of Jesus. What did they do? Well, they did just that. They brought their friend into the presence of Jesus. They were of the conviction that somehow bringing this friend that they had who was very weak, who had so many needs, that bringing him into the presence of Jesus would help him. Now, why did they think that? If you, if you looked at the chapter prior to Mark 2, which is Mark 1, you would see Jesus doing... An abundant amount of really amazing and miraculous things. And when good things start happening, when miraculous things start happening, it draws a crowd. It's no wonder that these friends brought their friend there because amazing things are happening. I remember when I was in college, this was at the advent, the beginning of ATM machines. It used to be that if you wanted money, you had to go to a bank between 9, p.m. And 4, 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. An ATM machine was a new thing when I was first starting to go to college. And there was this ATM machine on the main thoroughfare where all the students used to cross and go. And one day, the ATM machine began to dispense more money than you asked for or was in your account. And within about a half hour, there was a line around the block of people coming to this ATM machine because miraculous things <laughs> were happening. Jesus is doing miraculous things, and so it's drawing a crowd. What were the miraculous things that he was doing? Well, there are several things. The first thing he does in the Gospel of Mark is he calls some fishermen to be his disciples. That's a strange thing to do. Fishermen were unlettered people. They were people who didn't didn't have the pedigree of what a rabbi would be. So the rabbi calling these fishermen, these unlearned, rough-hewn people, to be his disciples is a strange thing. He's also healing people. He's healing people in all kinds of ways, with all kinds of maladies. It says in Mark 1 that he's healing people with unclean spirits or demons. You and I might not think of demons so often, but think about the different ways that you and I and our friends and our loved ones are afflicted emotionally, spiritually. Whether it be depression or anxiety or substance abuse, all those things are demons of one kind or another. And it says here that Jesus is cleansing people. He is healing people of these demons. It's drawing a crowd. It also says in Mark 1 that he is healing people with leprosy. The people on the very outside and margins of society, people that you're not even supposed to touch, Jesus is putting his hands on them. So it's drawing a crowd, so these friends bring their friend to see Jesus. Now, it's an amazing scene. Will you take a look at the passage here? This is a chaotic scene. In verse 4, it says there's so many people there. That they can't even get to the building where Jesus is in. Have you ever been a place like that? You wanted to go to a restaurant, you wanted to get to the fireworks, you wanted to get to the party. You can't get there because there's so many people. It's thronged, but these friends are really, really determined. So the only thing, the way that they can think to get into the house is to do what? To go through the roof. Now, I don't know how they got onto the roof. That's a question that the text doesn't answer. I don't know if they had a ladder. I don't know if they boosted each other up. They also had to carry this man who wasn't able to get around himself. But he goes up, they go up on the roof, and then they go through the roof. Now, in all my readings of this passage, I've always thought that the roof that they went through was made of what? Straw, right? You imagine that it's a straw roof. But people back then weren't that dumb. They didn't have straw roofs. None of you would have a straw roof because rain and the elements would come through. Instead, what they did was they took pieces of wood, sometimes thatched together with other material, and then with a kind of paste of mud and other things, they would make a hard surface, a waterproof surface that was made of mud and straw and wood. And so it was a very strong, so they can stand on it. So that the way that they have to get down through the roof is a big deal. I don't know if they brought instruments up there with them, but they are banging and now they're going through the roof. And you can imagine if you were inside of the building, you'd hear people up on the roof. And you'd hear them bang, bang, and there's mud coming down, and there's straw coming down, and people are looking up because these friends want their friend to see Jesus. And when they get their friend down to see Jesus, Jesus says a totally bizarre thing. They have lowered their friend down. You could see the light kind of coming in because they've torn it open. And by the way, whose house was this? They put their friend down. The light shines through. Now there's no light coming to me because the man is being lowered down. And he gets down. And in verse 5, Jesus says an astounding thing. We could just focus on verse 5 for years. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now that's strange for a lot of reasons. One is that Jesus seems to just know how things stand with your spiritual life. He just looks at this man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus seems to have the authority to be able to say, I know where you stand with God and your sins are forgiven. We'll return to that in a second. But the other reason this is so astounding is that when Jesus saw this man lowered through the roof, when all the other people saw this man lowered through the roof, they would have known beyond a shadow of a doubt, what was that man's number one need? It was that he was a paralytic and he wanted to be able to move. And you can imagine the friends up on the roof, they lower their friend down and they're looking down there and the friends are back here and they say, what's he saying? He says his sins are forgiven. His sins? It's actually his legs that we, uh, he can't move. That's not, thanks for the sins, but it's not his sins that he was lowered down there for. That's not what they brought him for. But Jesus knows better than anybody else in that place that the need that this man has, which is the greatest. What this passage tells us is that our greatest need, his greatest need, may not be what we think it is. He's lowered down there because he can't move. He's lowered down there because of all of the different ramifications that his paralysis affects his life he almost certainly can't have a family He probably doesn't have a wife he can't work his social connections are probably not very strong because he's not an asset he can't work he can't contribute therefore he has a life which is completely shot through with weakness because of the fact that he can't walk so if you'd asked anybody in that room what is this man's number one need they'd all say it's his legs that's the deal and Jesus looks at him and says Oh, I know what you need. The number one thing is, you need forgiveness of your sins. It affected everything in his life, this paralysis, but Jesus knows that it's something different. Now, what I want to do now is turn our eyes a little bit from this story to bring this story into our life right now. So many of you here today, me, I'm here today, for all kinds of different reasons. We come because we want to be connected to God. We come because we want to meet people. We come because a friend guilted us into coming. We come because we really love the music. We come because we've always done it. We grew up coming. We came maybe because something began gnawing at us a year ago or a week ago when we thought we needed something we're going to try out church. I don't know what brought you here, but I can tell you two things. One is whatever brought you here, it's good that you came. There is no bad reason to come into the presence of Jesus. This isn't a way to say, you know, what you really need is spiritual help. This isn't important what's going on in your life. Otherwise, it's incredibly important what's going on in your life. Whatever brings you into the presence of Jesus, whether it be need or boredom or guilt or obligation or desire or love, whatever it be, Jesus will use it. But the second thing that this text clearly tells us is that the most important thing that this man needs is he needs the presence of Jesus in his life. Now, the theological term, you know what it is? He needs union with Christ. That's what they taught us in seminary. Union with Christ is the very centerpiece of the discipleship of Jesus that you and I are after. We need to be united to Christ and be united to Christ. And that's what this man is now. He is united to Christ. There are two things that we can see working itself out. In this man's life. And as I said before, I want this to play into our lives right now, today. Every one of you, whether you're a Christian or not, I want us to be able to understand what it means to come into union with Christ and what that does for us. So here's the first thing, and it's what Jesus mentions explicitly it's that union with Christ gives us forgiveness of sins. So I said before that it's apparent that this man's need has to do with his legs and his social situation. But the more immediate problem that Jesus addresses is forgiveness of sins. Now, what do we learn about being united to Christ in that it forgives our sins and He forgives our sins? The first thing, and this is the best thing about it that I think, apparently you don't need to know a lot to be helped by Jesus. You don't need a lot of preparation. You don't need a lot of knowledge of Jesus. You don't want to need a lot of, is this man sorry for his sins? I have no idea. The text doesn't tell us. Is this man going to turn over a new leaf and do all new things? It does not tell us. It doesn't seem to be an important point. Is this man ready to get going with his life and be a new spiritual person? It does not say. And I think the reason it doesn't say is because it's not the most important part. The most important part of forgiveness is Jesus. And you can come to Jesus for all kinds of reasons, with all kinds of motivations. And I can be clear with you right now. I know every one of our motivations about being here or coming into the presence of Jesus is always mixed. But Jesus, he doesn't seem to care. He just looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. My friend Brian Havick puts it like this. He says, when this man receives forgiveness from God, it's the very best day of his life. Because from that day on, he knows, because of what Jesus has said and done, that he stands before God clear and clean and forgiven Everything is provided for him spiritually. It's the very best day of his life. But when Jesus says that your sins are forgiven, it assures him, Jesus, of the very worst day of his life. Because when Jesus says that his sins are forgiven, that means Jesus is taking on the responsibility and the guilt and all the weight of that man's sins. He's taking them. He's given that man forgiveness and he's taking on all the weight. Did you see in the passage that the scribes, those are the religious people, they're people like Mark and I, they're the pastors, you know? They get kind of snotty when Jesus does really amazing, counterintuitive things. The scribes are really angry because he says, who, who, who can really forgive sins? Why is this man saying this? And they're right, only God should be able to forgive sins. This is what Isaiah 43 says. I, I am he who blouts out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. They're right, only God can forgive sins. Jesus is acting like a man who has the authority to forgive sins. He's acting like God. He's acting like the one who has the final say about your spiritual life. And the final say that he gives about this man is that he's forgiven and it doesn't seem to be for very much. He says actually that the man's sins are forgiven for the faith of his friends. There that man is just laying there. He says, your sins are forgiven. So here's how I want to finish up this first part of union with Christ, forgiveness. This may seem like an obvious question to all of you here, because you're in church, you've chosen to be here. But it's worth asking, do you know that Jesus can forgive all of your sins? You know that? Jesus can forgive all of your sins, anything that you have done, anything that you will do, anything that you're doing right now, that Jesus can forgive all your sins. Do you know that nobody else can do that? Nobody else has the authority to do that. Nobody else has the power to do that. There's not anyone else in the world who you can go to who will forgive all your sins and who will do it in such an abundant way, in such a kind of liberal, overflowing kind of way. So you're here today, and I know that many of you believe that, but I want to make sure that all of you hear it, that Jesus can forgive all of your sins, that there's no place else that you can go. And if you don't believe that, that's okay. It's fine if you don't believe it. I hope, and I, would, I think I can speak for Mark here, I hope that you keep coming back to this church. I hope that you keep interacting and receiving the relationships and the love that is present here. There's no condition among being here. That's never what the church is. So if you don't believe that Jesus can forgive all your sins, you are always welcome here. But I want to make sure that you hear that, that Jesus can forgive your sins, all of them. Don't ever say that nobody told you that. Here's the second thing that comes from union with Christ. The man is dropped through. He says, forgiveness of sins, but what else happens for him? This is actually even better. I don't know how anything could be better than forgiveness of sins, but I think it is better. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now listen to this. Look at this. He doesn't just say your sins are forgiven. Now you're off scot-free. Get out of jail card. You can pass go and collect $200. He doesn't say that. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. He calls him son. This is a significant thing because as far as we know, this man has never seen Jesus before. I think the odds are pretty good that he has never seen him. And even if he has seen him, it's probably from afar. He's probably never met him before. So this man, while he may have never seen Jesus before, this is not the first time that Jesus has seen him. Did you listen to the passage that was read at the very beginning of the service, Psalm 139? Psalm 139 is a prayer, a psalm about the fact that God knows us all intimately. He knit us together in our mother's womb. That's what the Bible says, that each one of you is knit together, that you have a father in God. So that when Jesus says to him, my son, this isn't just sort of a colloquialism. He's saying, oh, it's my son. He's recognizing him as his son. He's saying, oh, you're adopted into my family. You belong to me. You're with me now. Don't be afraid. Take heart, my son. You're with me. Your sins are forgiven. Yes, that's great. But now you have a home with me. You are my son. And, you know, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to the Bible, so I don't want to read too many things into it, but I have to think that Jesus is smiling when he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Why do I think that? Because whenever a father looks at their child and says, Son, don't you smile? When you look at a child that you love, whether you're a father or a mother or an aunt or an uncle... You say, son, your sins are forgiven. You're smiling because of the love that you have for a child. This is the need that we have. We have the need of forgiveness, but we also have a need for a home. Look at verse 11. We don't just need a clean record. We need a home. He says, pick up your mat and go home. But this guy's lucky now because wherever he goes for the rest of his life, he has a home. Because he knows that God is his father and he knows Jesus is his elder brother He has a Father who has authority over all things. Imagine if your Father has authority over all of your sorrow. doesn't mean you'll never be sad again, but it means God is with you and has authority over your sorrow. He has authority over your loneliness. It doesn't mean you'll never be lonely again, but it means you have a home that you know you're going to. He has authority over everything that might separate you from God's love, and He's your Father. So He is union with Christ. Drop down through the roof. And he's with Christ, and he has forgiveness, and he has adoption. But there's the obvious thing now that we've passed by the whole time that he's also received, and that's healing. And I want to look at this just for a short time before we close up because the charge is sometimes made at the church, which is that, okay, you care about spiritual things, but what about the things that really matter in life? And here, Jesus really cares about all of those things. He heals this man's physical body. It isn't just spiritual matters and physical matters. That, that's a divide that doesn't really exist for Jesus. All those things are knit together. and So God cares immensely about every single need that you have, not just your forgiveness and not just your home, but also your body, also your home, also your work. Every single thing that happens in your life, Jesus Christ is concerned with. It starts with forgiveness with this man, but it also results in his healing. And so that's why, I just heard it up here as people prayed, I've heard Mark talk about it, that's why this church takes part in the building up of homes. It's why this church takes place in the feeding of people who are hungry. It's why when you all gather together, you are concerned about one another's lives in their totality, not just spiritual things. Every single need is important, and in union with Christ, every single need is met. Not maybe all at the same time, maybe not in the ways that we think that it should be, every single need so this is the best day of this man's life because he receives forgiveness and he receives adoption into god's family and he receives healing how did these things happen for him they happened because jesus gave them to him but how did he get to jesus he got to jesus because his friends brought him he never would have been able to be in the presence of jesus unless his friends brought him there Meeting Jesus and being in the presence of Jesus is the greatest need that you and I have. But the only way that we're going to get there is if people carry us there because sometimes we're not going to be able to get there ourselves. It's remarkable that these people are doing this for him because they're not getting anything out of it. These friends aren't benefiting from this relationship, at least not in a worldly way. I said before, this man can't work. He can't give good gifts. He can't do the things that we sometimes look for. Who are the people that we want to hang out with? You want to get invited to the good party. You want to receive the good gift. You want to know the people that might be able to help you. It's not a bad thing. But this man doesn't have much to offer at all. And yet his friends bring him into the presence of Jesus. They're showing us what it means to really truly love somebody. To bring somebody into the presence of Jesus is to give every kind of gift. It's to enable somebody else to flourish. I'm a pretty big soccer fan, and I'm a fan of the best team in the world, Manchester United. And a couple of years ago, Manchester United bought who you might say is the very best player in the Premier League. His name is Juan Mata. Juan Mata, you could say, might be the best player in the Premier League. Now, does he score the most goals? No. Does he play good defense? Probably not. I think that's why Chelsea sold him to United. But did you know the category that Juan Mata has the highest rating in over the last couple of years of almost any player in the Premier League? It's a category called chances created. That means that Juan Mata is really, really good at trying to find other way, ways for other people to score to put other people in a position where they're gonna be able to flourish. He's able to see the field. He's able to see the defense. He's able to see all the things going on in the game and he can put the ball in the right place so somebody else can flourish. Creating chances for people is really hard because you can't do it according to a formula. You can't do it according to kind of a rote schedule. You have to actually know the players around you. You have to know the defense. You have to know all those things. Friends, you and I are called to create chances for the people around us. We are called to find ways to bring them into the presence of Jesus. Sometimes it might be in this church building. Sometimes it might be in your home. Sometimes it might be through a big group, a party, like the party that's going to be taking place later this afternoon. Sometimes it might be an email. But what you and I are called to do is to create chances. Create chances for people to come into union with Jesus, because sometimes people can't get there on their own. Sometimes you yourselves are not going to be able to get there on your own, and so you're going to be to dependent on the people around you to be able to flourish. And these friends are so courageous and so persistent. They're such good examples of how to create chances. Their friend had a need, and the only man alive on earth who could meet that other friend's need is on the other side of a door, and they can't get in. Sometimes there's going to be obstacles for you to create chances, but these friends are great examples to us. You can see them kind of come up. They bring their friend. They look at the door. They say, it's too late. But one friend said, but we got to get him in there. Yeah, but it's too late. The crowd's too big. We have to get him in there. We could could go on the roof and go through. We can't go on the roof. We can't get up there. Yeah, we can. We can go on the roof. Well, what are we going to do once we get on the roof? We're going to go down through the roof. You can't do that. Yes, we can. We've got to get him in there. Dear friends, what kind of chances can you create? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a God who offers us forgiveness. And your forgiveness is abundant, and it is Conditioned seemingly on nothing at all except your love and your commitment to us. You offer us forgiveness of sins and we just don't do anything. You just give it to us. We give you thanks, God, that you're a God who offers us adoption. That you call us sons and daughters. We don't have much to offer, but you offer us a place in your family. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a God who gives us healing. Sometimes not exactly as we want, sometimes not in the way that we want, but you care about our bodies, you care about our homes, you care about our our city and our world. We give you thanks for that. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to create chances for others and for ourselves to receive those gifts that you give us in Jesus. We offer up these prayers in Christ's name. Amen.